Good morning, loved ones. I am so happy that you have joined with me again today for our time of digital worship. Uh, I pray that you are just uh, focusing on the Lord right now, that you have uh, put away anything that's going to distract you or turn your focus uh, away from the Lord. And I pray that during this time that we worship together, uh, that you just feel his spirit with you, that you feel his presence, uh, and that you come out of this time changed. Uh, I, I pray that this will just lift you up. I pray that the Lord will speak through me to you and that uh, he will give you uh, a message that encourages you and strengthens you uh, and gives you uh, hope for the days to come. So if you would, join with me now as we pray. Father God, Lord, uh, we thank you so much for the opportunity and the uh, ability, Lord, uh, to have this worship service together, uh, to uh, come together wherever we might be, Lord, uh, to uh, have a time of sacred uh, reverence of you, Lord, uh, to just be in your presence, uh, to experience uh, drawing near to you, Lord, and to praise you and honor you and glorify you. Lord, I pray that you will just be with us now during this time as we study your word. Lord, I pray that you will just uh, uh, send us your spirit, Lord. Allow us to feel the spirit kindling in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you give us ears uh, that are ready to hear this message. I pray that you give us hearts that are ready to take this message and to hide it away, uh, Lord, uh, to reflect on it, to meditate upon it, uh, Lord, and to draw closer to you in that process. Lord, thank you so much. Uh, for this time. Thank you so much for Christ, Lord. Uh, we pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for that, loved one. So last week, uh, we left off in Hebrews, looking at Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verses 11 through 14, and we dis uh, began the discussion of how Christ enacted the new covenant. Uh, and we looked at how Christ uh, started the new covenant and how he fixed us in a way that the law could never do. And today we're going to see where the author continues in, these, uh, in this same discussion. And we're going to see how the author further explains these concepts. And today we're going to really focus on three key points. Uh, the first of which is that Christ's actions make him the mediator of the new covenant, and we're gonna talk about what that means specifically. Secondly, we're gonna look at the fact that Christ's death was necessary to start this new covenant. And lastly, and most importantly, our third point today is going to be that forgiveness comes only by blood. And as we study these points today, and as we look at the case that the author is presenting, we're going to better understand exactly why Christ had to die and why we need his blood for our salvation. So if you would, join with me in Hebrews 9. We're going to look at verses 15 through 22. So Hebrews 9 verses 15 through 22, and it says this, And so he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who were called may receive the eternal inheritance he has promised, since he died to set them free from the violations committed under the first covenant. For where there is a will, the death of the one who made it must be proven. For a will takes effect only at death 
since it carries no force while the other, excuse me, while the one who made it is alive. So even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. For when Moses had spoken every command to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded you to keep. In both the tabernacle and all the utensils of worship, he likewise sprinkled with blood. Indeed, according to the law, almost everything was purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So when we ended last week, uh, we left off with the author telling us that Christ himself offered himself up as a perfect and unblemished sacrifice. And through doing this, Christ secured for us eternal redemption and that he has cleansed our consciences and made us alive and enabled us to worship the living God. And the author leads off here today in verse 15 by telling us that Christ is now the mediator of the new covenant. Now, I want to take just a second and clarify what we mean there by the word mediator because there's some certain connotations that we kind of carry with that word today. And I want to clarify it because it's being used in a rather unique way here in this passage. Uh, Usually, when we hear the word mediator, we often think of a person who brings a resolution, a person who brings an end to conflict between two different parties, uh, a go-between, an arbiter, if you will. We often think of a middleman, uh, so to speak, and there have been numerous instances uh, in Hebrews, as we've gone through this book together, when we've come across the word mediator, and that was exactly the meaning that was uh, intended. Uh, up to this point in Hebrews, every time we've encountered the word mediator, uh, it's been using that arbiter, that middleman, that go-between uh, kind of idea. But here, in verse 15 of chapter 9, the author is using a very nuanced meaning. And in this specific instance, we're not talking about Christ being an arbiter, but instead we're talking about Christ being the way or being the one through which God is going to enact this new covenant. Christ is the medium through which this new covenant would come into fruition. Uh, you could say that the author is trying to express the idea that Christ is the avenue through which God enacted this new covenant on God's terms, not on our terms, but on God's terms. And so Christ is that mediator. He is the way by which the new covenant is enacted. And likewise, he is the way by which those who have been called to be the people of God are able to receive the eternal inheritance that has been promised to them. Christ died to free us from our sin and from our condemnation. And by setting us free from our sins, he has made us heirs to the promises of salvation and forgiveness and hope and rest. 
And in many ways, what the author is here saying in Hebrews echoes what Christ said himself uh, in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus said to the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by me. This is the idea that the author is playing upon. And so the author is saying all this to remind us that Christ is the way by which salvation and the new covenant has come to humanity. And likewise, Christ is the way by which humanity can return to God. And then let's move on to verses 16 and 17, and we see where the author is continuing to explain and flesh out this idea of how Christ enacted the covenant. And the author does this by uh, comparing the new covenant to a will, by describing it like a will, um, as in a last will. And as is the case with any last will, in order for it to take effect, the person who made it has to die. As the author says, their death must be proven. Because without the death of the willmaker, the will carries no weight. It is ineffective. It lacks authority. It is merely a piece of paper that is waiting for its authority to come. And the author is saying this because we have to understand that for the new covenant to come, something had to die. Specifically, someone had to die. And since Christ is the mediator of this new covenant, since he is the one through which this new covenant would come to humanity, and since Christ has been the, uh, called the guarantor of the new covenant, and here we see that he is the executor of the new covenant, Christ's death was required in order for this new covenant to take effect. His death was necessary for this will to go into effect because without Christ's death, the new covenant would have no authority. It would be inactive. It would just be null and void until his death came. And this requirement for blood, uh, the need for blood, offers the uh, author a rather unique segue, a rather unique transition into uh, looking at the most important point today, being that Christ's blood is needed, is necessary, is required for salvation. So let's uh, take a look for uh, a few moments at verses 18 through 22. And here we see where the author goes into a lot of detail to flesh out the points that he has been explaining to us. And he draws off of the uh, example of the first covenant to prove the point that is being made here about the second covenant. So we just saw in verses 16 and 17 where the author was telling us that blood or that death 
was necessary for this will, for this covenant to go into effect. And the author begins referring us back once again to the Old Testament to uh, give us an example that supports the case that's being made. And the author reflects us back to Exodus chapter 24, to the ceremony there that we see where Moses enacts the first covenant with the people of Israel. And in that scene in Exodus 24, Moses uh, goes up on Mount Sinai before all of Israel and he reads to them the law and he spells out to them the uh, terms of the covenant between them and God. Uh, Israel was to obey God and to keep his law and to live as his people. And the people of Israel agreed to these terms. And then the covenant, the first covenant, was sealed when Moses and the priest took calves and took goats and slaughtered them. And then they took the blood of those sacrificed animals and Moses spattered it upon the people. He sprinkled the blood of the covenant upon the people. And Moses said to them, this is the blood of the covenant that you have agreed to keep. Meaning that they have sealed this deal and that this animal died to show that the covenant had been agreed to, to show that Israel had signed upon the dotted line saying that they were going to live as God's people and that they were going to obey him and that they were going to uphold this covenant agreement with him. The author of Hebrews goes on to say, too, that not only did Moses sprinkle the people with the blood of the covenant, but he also sprinkled the tabernacle and the utensils within the tabernacle with this blood. And this was done to show that these items were holy, that they were special, that they have been sanctified and set aside for a holy purpose. So let's Pause there on Exodus 24 and let's fast forward to the New Testament where we see this same scene recreated for us. We see this same scene repeated in the Gospels. And this scene of Moses on Sinai is recreated on the night of the Last Supper in the upper room when Christ takes the cup and he says to the disciples, This is my blood of the covenant that has been poured out for many. Christ's blood becomes the seal of the new covenant. He becomes that sacrifice that is slaughtered to seal the deal, to sign uh, the agreement between uh, the people of God and between God. And when Christ was nailed to the cross, when he was dying, when his blood was shed, the new covenant came into effect. And just as Israel was covered in the blood of the old covenant, and just as the utensils in the tabernacle were sprinkled with that blood to show that they were sanctified and set aside for a special purpose, we too have been covered in Christ's 
blood, showing that we agree to the terms of this covenant, showing that we submit ourselves to Christ, showing that we are going to obey him and live as his people, and also to show that we have been sanctified and that we have been set aside to, uh, for the special purpose of doing his work. But we cannot do this. We cannot live as the people of God. We cannot have salvation. We cannot be forgiven of our sins without the shedding of blood. What the author writes in Hebrews 9 verse 22 might be one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. The author says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no pardon. Without Christ's blood being shed for us, we are still condemned to death. We are still on death row. We are still just as lost and just as sinful and just as hopeless as we ever were. And what that means, loved ones, is this, that Christ's blood is absolutely necessary for salvation. It was a necessity that Christ had to die. It was necessary for Christ to die. Because without the shedding of his blood, the new covenant would never have come. There would have been no forgiveness. There would have been no reprieve. We would have gotten no pardon. And we would still be awaiting the wrath of God and the judgment that comes with that. But because Christ has come, because he shed his blood for us, he cleansed us of our sins. He tore down the barrier that separated us from God, and he becomes the way by which we can come back to God. So much power, so much force, so much beautiful theology the author packs into these few short verses. For me, one of the most exciting things uh, about doing a sermon every week is the process of figuring out how I'm going to, quote, land the plane, meaning how I'm going to take everything that I've presented to you today and how I'm going to wrap it up and package it uh, and end it in a way that hopefully uh, uh, makes sense and also helps the message to stick with you in your mind. And as I've been thinking about this sermon for this week, and as I've been going over the text and trying to figure out how I'm going to land the sermon today, I thought of a hymn. And I thought about how this hymn perfectly says everything that I would want to try to say in a much better way than I could say it. And as I was looking this hymn up, I discovered that the, the writer of this song was actually inspired to uh, pen 
this hymn after reading Hebrews 9 and specifically after reading Hebrews 9:22 that says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. So I'm going to read this hymn for you and you're going to recognize it as soon as I begin it. But as I read this hymn, loved ones, I want you to reflect upon the words, reflect upon what this song is saying. And I want you to reflect upon what the author of Hebrews was telling us today as well, about how Christ has come, how he has been made the way by which we can come back to God, and that that way is paved in his blood, and that we can only come back to God if we are bathed in his blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus, not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Loved ones, I said all that to say this. God has showed us the depth of love that he has for us by sending us his son, to suffer and to die and to take away the penalty of our sins. And that forgiveness, that redemption costs you and me nothing. Nothing more than a lifetime of commitment and devotion and obedience to Christ. But that forgiveness and that salvation and that pardon was bought at a great price. It cost Christ his life. And yet, he laid down his life willingly for you and for me. So loved ones, nothing else, nothing but the blood of Jesus can give you salvation. There is no ritual, no priest, no law, no preacher, no good works, no nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing that 
can save you other than Christ. And so today, wherever you might be, wherever you are watching this or listening to this, if you are trusting in other things, if you are putting your hope in other things, if you are trying to hedge your bets in any form or fashion, stop doing that. Stop trusting in other things. Put those other things away. Be done with them. Be rid of them. And instead, put the entirety of your hope and your faith exclusively in Christ and allow him to bathe you in his forgiveness and in his transforming blood. Loved ones, would you pray with me today? Father God, Lord, we thank you so very much for the gift of salvation that was bought and paid for, Lord, through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you so much that Christ has become that way, that mediator, Lord, through which we can come back to you. And Lord, I pray that you will just enable us to live as the people of God. We who have submitted ourselves to Christ and submitted ourselves to you, we who have been uh, sprinkled with the blood of the new covenant, Lord, help us to live as the people of God. And Lord, I pray for those who have yet to find that salvation, who have yet to uh, uh, put their faith in you, Lord. I pray that you stir their hearts, Lord, that you reveal this truth to them, that you call them to you, Lord, and that way that only you can, Lord, that you offer them that grace, Lord, that is irresistible and undeniable, Lord. And that you open their eyes to the sins, Lord, that they are committing. And that you allow them to put away the things, Lord, that they are trusting in, the good works, the rituals, whatever they might be, Lord, to put those other things away and to trust only in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you will just wash those sins away, Lord, that you will cover them with the blood of the Lamb and that you will just allow us all to follow you more closely, Lord and to live as your people. Lord, I pray that you allow us to take this good news, Lord, of salvation, of hope, uh, this gospel message, Lord, and that you allow us to share it with all who we encounter, Lord, that you will just give us hearts that are eager to go and serve, Lord, and that you give us strength for the labors ahead and for the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and for your mercy and for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for the precious gift of Christ. Lord, I pray that you be with us now, that you guide us and direct us, Lord, and that you make us bright and shining lights in a world that is full of darkness. Lord, we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.